Blog Talk Radio. Black Hole Radio presents Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. With your hosts, Rudolph Muhammad and Yusuf Muhammad. There's a train of coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the dealers coming. Don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. train to Jordan, picking up passengers coast to coast, facing the key over the dozen bottom, Singer Hezekiah Walker would say in the 
gospel group, Mary Mary, would say, we're honored uh, and we thank you for the honor of your ear and the privilege of your presence. We thank the first-time listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness and to our consistent and constant listeners once again. We thank you, all of you, for the honor of your ear, the privilege of your presence. I'm going to get out your way and uh, give way to our dear brother, Brother Rudolph T. Muhammad, who is also a co-host here on Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, and then we'll pick up where and when time and circumstance permits. Brother Rudolph? Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Yusuf. Peace be unto you. Assalamu alaikum. Hotel. Aboragani, ciao, abigaze, buenos tardes. These are just some of the greetings that our family uses all over the planet when they greet each other. And so we wanted to use it to make you feel at home because you are at home. This is our show. If we did not greet you, in the customary way that you're used to being greeted, then contact us here at Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness and tell us what it is you would like to hear that will make you feel warm and comfortable and so that you will understand that you are at home. We thank Almighty God Allah for giving us another another expression of his kindness in that this morning. And he's caused us to go on one more day in his wonderful, beautiful, magnificent creation called life. It wasn't the alarm clock that woke us up this morning. It wasn't the phone call from our significant other. It wasn't even the for those who are married and sleep together, you know how sometimes you roll over and you give that elbow nudge to wake your significant other up. It wasn't even that that woke us up. It was by the grace and mercy of the almighty, all-wise, true and living God, the creator right. of all that was, is, and will be. Because of his grace and mercy, he's given all of us the opportunity for a choice and a chance. Our beloved brother, Brother Abdul Hafiz Muhammad used to always say, it's another day to correct a mistake. And it's another chance to get it right. That's right. And so we thank, again, we thank Almighty God Allah. We thank his risen Christ, and we thank their apostle, their reminder, the most perfect example of righteousness walking the planet today the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. We thank them for all that they have done, are doing, and will do in the future on our behalf. And then, as Brother Yusuf said, we thank you, the listener, 
for calling in and for giving us your ear for whatever amount of time you do. We thank our engineering staff for getting us hooked in, getting us plugged in so that we could do this and you can hear us and we could hear you. And most of all, of course, I thank my co-host for being here, being with us this week. In advance, I'm thanking all of you who are about to call in, who are on the line already, and who are going to take part in this discussion that we're going to have this week. It's a part two. We started it last week, but it's just so much to this topic or these topics that uh, I don't even think we're going to get finish it this week, but we're going to do what we can do. So again, um, before we delve into these questions, you know, I, I want to say this. I'm here in the city of Detroit, in the state of Michigan. And yesterday, um, the Detroit Fire Department had a big scare. Eight of their firefighters in a fire. They were fighting a structure fire of an abandoned building, and the building collapsed on them trapping eight of them under the rubble. One of them, a 20-year veteran, was trapped for a little over two hours under that hot, smoldering, burning uh, uh, contraption. But all praises due to Almighty God, all eight of them made it out alive and Mm. have been released from the hospital and are recuperating at home now with a story to tell at the dinner table. So to the Detroit Fire Chief and the members of the Detroit Fire Department, the training paid off, your hard work is paying off, and we thank you for the sacrifice that you make every day when you come to work and start your shift. So, Brother Yusuf, I just wanted to get that out there for those that are on the air that are listening. No, thank you, Brother Rudolph. You know that's real dear, near to my heart after uh, yes, sir. enduring 30 years of service to the fire service and to the community of White Plains, New York, and being uh, the past president of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters, which in encompasses members from all over the continental U.S., uh, the Caribbean, Africa, the United Kingdom, Canada, and elsewhere. So shout out to the firefighters in Detroit, both male and female, men and women. I, too, thank Allah for the eight firefighters who were able to uh, get out of that situation. Brothers and sisters, you know, this program really promotes public awareness and engages in public outreach to inform, educate, and train all people and how to best prepare for, respond to, and recover from all emergencies. And you would think, wow, firefighters being trapped in an abandoned building. Well, one might ask the question, what were they doing in an abandoned building? building 
where you just never know. You know, I was not there. Firefighters are taught to have situational awareness, what we consider knowing what to do, when to do, how to do, where to do. And my point is no matter, we thank, as Brother Rudolph said, them for tapping into their training. However, when it comes to disaster awareness for community preparedness, it's certainly best to be aware first in the process. Then you become prepared. But all along the process, you got to call on the God who is the author of all situations. And there may be some situation that you might think you're prepared for, but depending on time, circumstance, condition, and situational awareness, you may not be prepared for. So all we can do is the best we can. You see, our objective here is also to ensure that everyone has at least a reasonable working knowledge of disaster preparedness to help you determine the best choices in any emergency response to avert danger and to save lives. Our vision here on disaster awareness for community preparedness is that each individual citizen, including every capable man, woman, and child, understand their personal responsibility for the safety of themselves, their family, their neighbors, and the overall well-being of the larger community. So, uh, again, we welcome all of you to another edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. We thank Brother Rudolph for bringing us, giving us an update of the landscape of what's going on there in Detroit, live and in living color. So much is happening as we speak, brothers and sisters. Let us not take what we're offering you lightly, or as my biological father would say, the life you save may be your own. And so I talked about the heat advisory being here in southeastern Virginia. However, it's happening all over the United States of America from the northwest, Seattle, Washington, to the southeast, Miami, Florida, from the northeast, Boston, Massachusetts, to the southwest, Los Angeles, San Diego, California. From Detroit to Dallas, we better gird up our loins and not only put on our medical or our fire protective personal protection equipment, but we also know we need to gird up our loins and put on the whole armor of God to help get us through this day safely. For all praise is due to Allah, and as my brother Rudolph brought up, our brother, the Abdul Hafiz Muhammad, who gave his life and transitioned in the beginning of the pandemic. May Allah be pleased with him. I reiterate, he used to say, every day above ground is a blessing. Another day to solve a problem and another day to get it right. So we're just trying to do our part, brothers and sisters, to share with you what Allah has given us. And, again, so many things are happening. You know, we have subject matter experts listening to us every week. 
from the fire service, from the emergency medical services, from the health care administration, from the hospital administration. Today, as Brother Rudolph said, we'll extend part of last week's subject, and I thank him for covering it down last week uh, for I was out of the country, but last week spoke a little bit to the nursing shortage, if I understood it correctly, and we have to ask ourselves the question, how does or how can it affect you and I and our family? So just wanted to share that and thank Brother Rudolph again for bringing us up to date on uh, the firefighters and what happened in Detroit. Uh, again, there's a severe thunderstorm watch where I am. Uh, and, um, you know, it's one thing to, as the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has instructed us and actually warned us to watch the weather. Tune into your meteorologist, whether or not you have an app on your smartphone, whether or not you have the weather channel on your TV or your smartphone, whether or not you have a local TV station that gives public service announcements relative to the weather. You see here in this area and up and down the East Coast is what's called hurricane season from June 1st through November 1st, generally speaking. But you never know the forces of nature. You may not know who's in control of it, but we have a good idea. (laughs) And it used to be a time, Brother Rudolph, where they used to say the forest fire season, the wildfire season, was a certain time on the West Coast in California from Mexico up to Northern California and sometimes Oregon. But now they don't even say it's it's wildfire season because it's happening year-round. So, brothers and sisters, gird up. Only your practical personal protective equipment, but Word to the wise is sufficient. Put on your helmet of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness, your shield of faith, your sword of the spirit of truth. Mm. Gird up. Put on the shod on your feet. You know, you shod your feet. Put on them them walking shoes. Brother Rudolph, our grandmothers used to sing that song. I got a new walk over in Jordan, and he's my. Uh, 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 this might be the wrong audience for that. I apologize. I apologize. Y'all know I can't help myself. No, sir. So I'm going to get out your way and let Never the wrong audience, brother. I understand we have a caller. I understand we have a caller from area code 919. If they're on, let's bring them on and see what, you know, the creator has revealed to them through them that we might move forward in our program. If you're on, thank you for calling. Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, area code 911. I mean, excuse me, 919. If you could just state your name and where you're calling from, we oftentimes say, how may we serve you? Assalamu alaikum. This is Sister Juba from Raleigh. (laughs) 
Welcome back, Brother Yusuf, and thank you so much for your uh, service last week, um, Brother Rudolph, on the on the program. Yes, you did ma'am. a great job, Brother Yusuf. <laughs> um, I know he did. No doubt in my mind. Struggling along yes, without yes, my co-pilot. <laughs> I I I. I heard the, uh, your entrance about the eight firefighters who survived. Yes, a blessing. Do we know how um, they got out? Do we know what happened? Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, they, they called, uh, and, and you heard it over the, um, it went live. It went over the, all, all the uh, airwaves. They, they called a man down. And fire departments from all over the local surrounding areas mm-hmm. responded, and they literally started lifting the rubble off of the, oh the, those eight uh, firefighters until they got down to the last one. Oh, my goodness. See, Allah, Allah is great. Yes, ma'am. So, what a blessing. What a great blessing. And And I wanted to say in terms of, you know, preparing myself. I went to the fire department yesterday in Raleigh and had them look at my extinguisher and everything is okay. So um, I've been meaning to do that. Thank you, sis. See, that's the practical side of this, the practical application of being prepared. You know, it's not hocus pocus. It's not um, uh, mystical. It, it's 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 none of that. It's real. It's things that it we is. have to do as men and women. It and is. when you do it, it, it lifts a weight off of you to know. Yes, okay, I got this yes. done. So, all right. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And I want to say also, um, I don't know if the same people you are using for getting a generator. But if someone could text that information to me, I would appreciate it so much. Take care. Yes, ma'am. Salam alaikum, family. Waalaikum salam. Thank you, sis. Wow. You know, um, practical application. Go ahead. Yes, sir. You know, the way that you started it off, though, bro, uh, you know, I'm just going to chime right into that because so often – you know, we do and say a lot of things on the show, and it goes without saying in our mind, but maybe we do need to state it, that, um, you know, in no specific order, but in a particular order, uh, definitely one of the most important um, uh, um, aspects of this disaster preparedness that we talk about come from getting that spiritual go bag in order first and then Mm. the other one, because the spiritual go bag is going to help you maintain your discipline. The spiritual go bag is going to help you to remain calm in the midst of whatever else is going on because your faith, in your creator, your faith in your higher power, your knowing within your heart of hearts that 
that one that you rely on when nobody else is around, that one who you can call on 24 hours a day and never get an ans- uh, 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 answering machine or never get a busy signal, that one that you can go to in that clutch moment when, when you can't get to anybody else will not fail you. That's the spiritual uh, uh, go-bag. That's what we're talking about. Uh, He said girding up your lawns, getting that in place first so that you will have the strength to fight the thing that you can see. We have callers from uh, the 313 area. Uh, uh, To our engineer, bring, bring them in. Bring them in. Welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. To whom do we have the pleasure of hearing from, and how may we be of service to you? Um, you can hear me, Brother Bruno? Yes, ma'am. Okay, oh, hey, I'm from Lake. I'm just Mr. Sasha. Welcome. How are you all, both Brother Eustace and Brother Rudolph? I'm from Lake. <laughs> Listen, family, well, I gotta let you know who this is on the line right here. This is my <laughs> sister here in Detroit, Michigan, and and she is affectionately dubbed Brother Yusuf. You're gonna love this. You're gonna love this. This sister right here, I call her disasters on a budget. Because this sister right here can break it down for you and tell you how to and where to get it. When you start talking about, oh, I can't afford this, oh, I can't do this, I can't get that because of this, that, this sister right here will tell you how to do it. The soldier for her law, Sister Sasha. Yes, ma'am. How may we be of service to you, Sister Sasha? Well, I just wanted to bear witness to everything you all said and uh, that we don't wait to the last minute to start working on our disaster preparedness. And like you said, don't use the word we can't. We have to say we can. But like you said, the first pillar of being success is making sure we say prayer and have that connection with Allah, and he will carry us. And inshallah, we're working on a disaster preparedness uh, conference coming up soon, Brother Rudolph. Yes, but, um, Yes, sir. So I just want to say thank you for all the hard work that you all are doing. I love you all so much. May Allah bless you to continue to be successful. Waalaikum salam. Thank you. And for the listeners who don't know, that is one of the mighty MGT and GCC <laughs> from Mosque number one right here in Detroit, Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sister Sasha. All praise is due to Allah. May Allah continue to bless you and your family with success, Sister. Thank you. Welcome back, Brother Yusuf. I heard your prayer line this morning. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Praise All be praise to Allah. Allah. Good to be back. And I thank you on behalf of my family for your prayers that we would make it back safely and get That's back right. into this. This this, all this race of salvation. Yeah, all praise is <laughs> yeah. to Allah. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. So like so you heard it first, you heard it live right here on Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. Detroit, Michigan is planning something big because, you know, we don't do nothing small here in Detroit. Nah, nothing small. You know, when I was in New York, you know, you know, we used to always say, you know, the city's so nice you had to name it twice. Big New York, New York, big city of dreams. 
Yes, but here in Detroit, I found out it's another aspect to things here in Detroit. You know, this is where the God came himself, you know, to right. work out things because this is just a different terrain here with a different type of person here. So, you know, you have to use a different type of uh, technique here. So praise be to Allah. Do we have another caller from the 313 area here on Disaster Awareness? For community preparedness. Okay. All right. All right. Well, well, they're working out. They're working out. We'll get in. Well, while we're waiting for that, like you said, yes, sir, brother. Uh, you said there's um, heat warnings and and, and uh, um, weather alerts, watches, and things going on all over the country in every region i mean it's this is something that i you know i know i've never seen before brother you know we have uh uh wildfires burning up the west coast we got a drought going on at the same time then you have uh the heat indexes in the midwest and the southwest uh region of the country uh, reaching um, cooking proportions, you know, it's like it, 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 it's like the very earth that we're walking on is like a saute pan, and somebody just mm. turned up the heat, you know. And that's and, and, not and to mention, on the, right? Yes, sir. Not to mention, yes, mm-hmm. just in eastern Kentucky last night, flooding oh, killed flood. eight people, and the governor yes, said the death toll is expected to rise where in a matter of hours they receive seven inches of rain. Wow. My God. You know, and and I understand that there are some people who are listening on the line that can't put this into a perspective because they've either never experienced it it's not common in the place where they're from, or it's just something that, you know, they've never heard of. Um, But seven inches of water in a few hours, that's like, imagine turning the water on in your kitchen sink, full blast, stopping it up, and then going sitting down, and flipping through your uh, remote control trying to find a program to watch and forgetting that it's on, and then when you realize that it's still on, you going in there to try and stop it, the water is already overflowing. And, well, it's just like that. It happens just that fast that there's nothing that you can do about it, absolutely nothing, because as long as the water is coming, as long as it's flowing, you're powerless to mitigate against it. And this is why we always talk about mitigation, 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 trying to imagine the worst-case scenarios and what we would do if that should happen. Um, And then once you do that, trying to set a procedure in place when that does happen. And that's how we try to mitigate 
and set up tuition plans and our disaster plans in places by someone thinking of the worst-case scenario, and this is the time that you want that what-if person on your team. You know how you always have that one person, some people call them a, a negative nons or a, a Debbie Gowler, you know, but this is where you want that person on your um, disaster team because they're going to be the ones to make you think of what you or another member of the team definitely has not thought of. And that's why you need a team to do this kind of work because everybody is not coming from the same aspect mentally, spiritually, physically, or psychologically. Brother Yusuf? Yes, sir. I appreciate you, Brother Rudolph. You're telling it right, you know. And when you mentioned about who you want on your team, see, brothers and sisters, is if everyone does a little, no one has to do a lot. And we know we right. can't do it by ourselves. We call on Allah, whatever you call your supreme being, we call on him first, and then we move out after we establish a team. But first, individually, you got to take one step toward preparing yourself in terms of disaster awareness for community preparedness. And then you begin to surround yourself with like minds, and you'll be surprised. People will come around you by God's grace and mercy that you had no idea even knew that they were thinking the same thing you were thinking in terms of disaster awareness for community preparedness. So, you know, after you take the initiative, we say self-improvement is the basis for community development, which is a study guide, a group of study guides produced by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, but you can't get away from that beautiful concept. Self-improvement is the basis for community development, where if you take these fundamental steps of uh, self-examination, self-analysis, Right, self-correction, then you'll be on your journey towards learning more about this disaster preparedness. So then once you take the initiative and you, 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 you come into uh, trying to educate your family members, where you live, what you're doing, what we should be considering doing, who you live with, then you branch out, and it becomes a community. And we say community involvement, community investment, community partnership for community risk reduction. Shout out to uh, our dear brother, brother, Executive Vice President Gary Tenney, who was on our program a few weeks ago, who talked about community risk reduction and yes, brother sir. former chief of Los uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, brother Chief Dave Washington. They were on talking about community risk reduction. But there's a process and it starts with yourself. And if I could regress just a little bit, uh, Brother Rudolph, back to the Ajuba wanting to know more about 
firefighters in Detroit got rescued. Yes, sir. And as, as you said, it was put on the media where certain people were exposed to uh, real execution, real mitigation in real time, whether it was through a scanner or whether or not the media, the news media, uh, played and showed what was taking place. But from a fire service point of view, you know, uh, well, let me just say this, too, in terms of process starting with self. Sister Sajid to mention, you know, me not being there last week and how you held it down, as well as Sister Juba, and you said you, you did the best you could without your co-pilot. And it made me reflect on the flight that I was on last week. And when you're on a plane, when they're giving you the safety instructions of how to use the breathing apparatus, if you have to use it in case of an emergency, they always instruct you to use your mask, put it on your face first. That's right. Because you can't save anybody else unless you save yourself. Now, fast forward back to this emergency of the firefighters yesterday in Detroit. One of the things you mentioned, uh, Brother Rudolph, was they had to first announce that they were trapped. They had to communicate. And in the fire service, there's a universal word when you're trapped. It's called mayday. Mayday. Yes, sir. So if you're trapped, everybody else knows once the mayday is called, that's when you're really calling on the God, Sister Sides and Sister Ajuba. You know it's a critical State of emergency, never seen such urgency as the reggae group used to say. Right. Mayday, you got to call on the God because it's an indication of someone being trapped. And then, Brother Rudolph, you said they called other agencies to work in a unified manner in order to save those lives or at least attempt to save those lives. Right. So listen, that's the same thing with us, same thing with our listening audience. Once you call on the God, once you rely on your training as best you know how under uh, uh, those kind of circumstances, then there'll be somebody who's going to call somebody else who's going to call somebody else. It becomes what they call a unified command. It's one thing to have an incident command system. Right. But it's also another thing that the various agencies that work together, that's what's called a unified command. See, that's community risk reduction, where you start, you impact and influence your family members, the elders in your home if you have them, the children in your home if you have them somebody else in your neighborhood, and then someone else in the larger community, as Sister Juba took her extinguisher to the fire department there. If no more, I mean, the initial thing was to get and see if the extinguisher was serviced properly. But the right. other thing was she, she, she established a relationship, That's the firehouse right. in her community. 
and we strongly recommend you do the same. So I just wanted to share that aspect of it, Brother Rudolph, in listening to our sisters who called in, and we thank Allah for them, as well as those who are on the line listening, whether you're a subject matter expert or not. And we know we have subject matter experts who tune into our show every week, whether they come in or not. But we welcome all of you to come in and share in this uh, dialogue for we're at 4.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as we move toward the top of the hour, you know, Brother Rudolph and I, we, we, we don't get off in hearing ourselves talk to each other. <laughs> we can do that at any time. <laughs> right. We want to hear from you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, and lastly, before I pass it off to Brother Rudolph, I want to share this quote from the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, and I quote, those who are scripturally prepared know that it is prophesied that we would be living in a time of wars and rumors of war, pestilence, famine, and earthquakes in diverse places. We are witnessing terrifying disasters afflicting the peoples of the world, and those disasters are now afflicting the United States of America. Believing that those prophecies will be fulfilled, it is our duty to learn as much as we can on disaster preparedness and to do all we can to prepare the American people and our people in particular for coming disasters, quote, unquote, from the Honorable Minister Lewis Farrakhan. Brother Rudolph? Yes, sir, brother. Oh, man. You know, after saying that, um, all I can say to that is, hmm, my God, my God, my God. You heard mm -hmm. it. You heard it first right here, live and in, in living color. Now, one of the questions or uh, topics, this week, continuation of last week, is the EMS shortage, the shortage of EMTs and paramedics riding on the ambulances in the pre-hospital arena. Um, I'm trying to find a way to explain this, not so much in technical terms, um, but in terms so that the average person can understand what I'm talking about. So if I say something and it hits you a certain way, I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm not trying to insult anyone's intelligence. But as, uh, you know, as Denzel Washington uh, said, I'm going to, it's, I, I'm going to talk to you like you're six years old because I don't want any misunderstanding about what I'm saying. The shortage of EMS means when you pick up that, when you, first of all, you have that emergency and you know that you're over your head in being able to deal with it, so you call 911. Now, this is where the dilemma begins. 
depending on what area of the country you're in, you call 911, you expect someone to pick up that phone. Suppose they don't. Just suppose you get a recording saying, the person that you have called answer the phone right now. Please call back later. Mm-mm-mm. Or no one picks up at all. It just shuts right off. Then what do you do? What's your next plan? Because you're already in over your head because you called 911. So it's clear that you already cannot handle whatever is going on. Now, remember, when you're calling 911, you're either calling for one of three things. You're calling for police, you're calling for fire, or you're calling for EMS. Those are the reasons that you call 911. If it's something else, there are other numbers that you can always call. But those are the three primary emergency services that you're calling for. If it's of a medical nature, then now the question is, well, what can you do to either save that person's life, sustain that person's life, or help that, or bring that life back to that person because the people that you expected to respond, you couldn't get to. The emergency is the wrong place to figure out that you don't know what you need to know. And it's something that you will never forgive yourself for for the rest of your life. It will always play out in your subconscious and in your memory. What if, what if, what if powerless to do anything? But it doesn't have to be that way. If you take advantage of the time that you have and the situation that we're in now, if it's a fire-related incident that you're calling 911 for, once again, What is it that you can do to help mitigate that situation until the professionals get to you to either save lives or save your property so that you don't end up with catastrophic loss? Do you know how to put out a fire? Do you know how to prepare where you live at for um, what we call uh, uh, fire prevention. Are these even topics or questions that have pricked or permeated your mind? Has anyone ever walked through your living quarters to point out to you that this right here could be a possible uh, um, fire hazard. These are just some questions that I'm just raising to be on your mind at this point. So, again, if you call the 911 number and they don't even answer, you know that you're up the creek, as they say, without a paddle. Now, if they do answer, 
and you tell them what's going on, which we I've all I teach when I teach my class. I teach people if you're calling for a medical emergency, as soon as they come on the line, that is how you open up. Don't open up trying to tell the story of what's going on. So many times when people call 911, your emotions are so high, and you're trying to get the whole story out, and they have a procedure that they need to go through to cut through the uh, cut through the fat, as they say. Just uh, uh, remember, brother Yusuf, there used to be a show on when we was growing up called Dragnet. Yeah, yes, very unemotionally used to say, "Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts." <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> you know, that's what we need when, when the dispatcher is on the line with you. That's what they're trying to get to. They're trying to get to the facts. They don't want to know what you want to tell them. They want to know what they need to know. So sometimes they may get very abrupt with you and tell you, "Ma'am, sir, shut up." Answer my question. And you may think or somebody is listening may think, that was rude. But sometimes they have to shock you back into reality in order to get the information they need to help you. How they say, help me help you? Well, what is it that they want to know? Is the person breathing and is the person awake? Those two major questions and the two first questions that any emergency medical dispatcher is going to ask you. Because if you say, no, the person is not breathing, they go into a whole different response mode. If you say, no, the person is not awake, it's a whole different response mode mechanism and matrix that uh, come into play depending on where you are in the country. So, again, it's not to complicate this thing, to keep it as simple as possible. Is the person breathing? Is the person awake? Those are the first two things, both of which you have the power to do something about whether the professionals get there or not. And the simple answer to that is learn CPR. Learning cardiopulmonary resuscitation will teach you how to, if a person's heart is not beating, how to either restart that heart if it be the will of God or how to mimic that heartbeat to circulate oxygen-rich blood to help keep brain cells alive until help arrives. The number one misnomer about CPR is people automatically think, I'm doing CPR to save a life. No, that's a marketing ploy set by those who monetize the um, teaching skills and techniques of CPR because everything is a business in the capitalistic state of America that we live in. CPR is a big business. It's a big business. And because your name is going into a registry, air quotes and unquotes, it means that there's a registration process that's going to take place. So just like you have to register for a driver's license, like you have to register for a state ID, like you have to register your marriage certificate, like you have to register for any uh, for a, a gun license, uh, 
any other license that you get, any other professional um, credentials that you have, they go into a registry where someone somewhere can tap into a computer and they can pull up a number that's been assigned to you which states that you have had a certain type or certain amount of professional training or training that the average person has not had, which puts you a little higher up on the list than them as far as being a professional rescuer. So where first responders are concerned, yeah, you have the first responders, which are your fire, police, EMS, but the first first responder is you. You're the first first responder. Because you're the one that's going to let the overall system know there's a problem at this location. You're the one that's going to let them know there's a pole in their tree into a pole. There's a fire in this house. That there's a person down that's not breathing and, and, and not awake. The first first responder is going to acknowledge and notify the overall response system that there's an emergency here, that first first responder has the ability to save the life or begin restoring the life to the lifeless person, that first first responder has the ability to prevent further injury to that person or those people after they acknowledge that there is a situation at that location. And then when you make your 911 call, you're giving the the um, overall system the exact address they need to respond to. You're telling them what they're running into when they get there so they know exactly what equipment to bring, exactly what personnel should be on the scene, and what should be on standby. That's all that happens when you make that 911 call, if they answer and you can get through. But again, the question is, suppose the 911 system does not, then what do you do? You shouldn't be left in a situation where you get no help. That's where the other system comes into place. What other system, Brother Rudolph? The community response system, that's where the neighbor helping neighbor comes into play. That's where, though, remember, brother. again, Brother Yusuf, when we were growing up, um, they used to have block associations where mm-hmm. they had block captains where you knew your neighbors. You knew who lived in what house, and you knew if your neighbor across the street was wheelchair-bound or bedridden, and you knew what time the family went to work, and you know that at this time they should be, someone should be home. You know that someone is in that house that can't do for themselves. This is where the old uh, neighborhood watch comes into play, you know. This right. is what we have to get back to. So when you're talking about community risk reduction, family, when Brother Yusuf used that term, this is what 
one of the skills or one of the things we're talking about. The risk is you or one of your neighbors dying um, prematurely because a system is not in place. Well, you are part of that system that needs to be in place. The question is, are you willing to do what needs to be done? So I, I know I'm talking a lot, Brother Yusuf. I'm going to stop there because I need, I want you to speak to them from the fire service perspective, fire prevention, uh, um, and to explain to them about that handy-dandy fire extinguisher and how to use it, when to use it, why we use it, and that sort of thing. Brother Yusuf? Thank you, Brother Rudolph. Again, brothers and sisters, as we enter the top of the hour, we welcome you to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. We pray that what we've shared with you thus far is something that you can use. You know, we try to pride ourselves with news with views you can use. And I'm not a poet or anything like that, but <laughs> it just made sense to say it that way, Brother Rudolph. Um, again, we, we welcome all of our first-time listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And many of our consistent and constant listeners are subject matter experts themselves. And so, you know, there's so many different levels of uh, health care, whether it's through the fire service, health care, whether it's through the emergency medical services, which many cities in America uh, consolidate the both. You know, uh, some, some EMS systems are private-public partnerships, whether you're talking about health care administration or hospital administration. Um, this shortage in these professions are real. That's why we, we, we pride ourselves in trying to bring you up to date on the update of the landscape in terms of uh, potential um, job opportunities, career opportunities, our youth and our younger adults. Um, uh, and, and it's just critically important that we talk about these things, whether or not it's the mobile health care, which Brother Rudolph laid out, real scenario of what's going on, or whether it's the health care where we must go and attend um, at whether it's an uh, emergency health care clinic or any others on those levels. But I understand we have Brother Allah on the line, and certainly we want to give him an opportunity to speak uh, to um, the nursing shortage or the shortage from his vantage point in the EMS. And I believe I have a dear sister who, if she's not on the line right now, she'll be calling in shortly, Sister Shamira Boone, who is uh, well-versed in what's going on in the emergency medical systems here in the area code of 757, Southeastern Virginia. So Sister Shamira Feel free to come on if you're on. But, uh, Brother Allah, welcome, Brother. How may we serve you? And I know we can't serve you without you serving our listening audience. The floor is yours, sir. Brother Allah, can you hear me? 
Blake, can you hear me, family? Yes, sir. We hear you now. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm sorry I logged in a little bit late, so I missed all of the all of the phenomenal information that was passed on. I'm coming on late, but I'm sure, brother. You're Bruno never late, sir. You're never late as long as you're alive. This is all real, family. This shortage is real, and the staffing issues are real, and it's to, it's to devastating proportions where they're asking all types of people to come back from retirement and from and, and pushing people through nursing schools and 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 it's a serious situation we have to really be careful uh with because we're also pushing people who may not be uh educationally ready to be in the field into the field because uh a couple of years ago uh ner- hospitals were looking down at nurses RNs oh you don't have a bachelor's degree oh no you can't work here now they're right. not even you got a you got a nursing degree period i don't care where you come from come work for me right so it give you an associate degree nurse if you just went through a nursing program with no degree do you have that rn do you have that lpn license let's go right it's, they just want to know if you have that title. They don't care where you got it from. They just want you, and they need those bodies. Now it's about bodies instead of uh, quality of care and quality of skills. This shortage is, is, is a real thing, and it's something that you have to keep your eyes and ears open about. And if you have a a family member or a neighbor that has a health issue, you want to watch who's taking care of you because they may not be qualified. So, you, mm. and you need to know, educate and arm yourself with information so you know what they're doing, what what care that they should be getting opposed to what care they shouldn't be getting. Just because you're in a hospital does not mean that you're in a safe place. Mm. You knowing something about negative uh, uh, med- medical information can go a long way when it comes to medication, and it doesn't take a degree or a certification to know what medication. Just Google it and see what it is. Sometimes we can and be taking three and, and four medications right. and what it does. So if your nose is bleeding or your stomach is upset and it wasn't before, you might want to check into what you're taking, how many things you're taking, because you could be taking two or three medications that could be for the same thing. You know, mm. you, you might have mm-hmm. went to the emergency room and saw one doctor and saw your primary care provider, and he's giving you something else for the same thing. So you want to be just be conscious and 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 uh and really, really and really, really focused on what you're doing when it comes to how and who's providing care to you. Right, and Brother Rudolph was saying our. We, we have to be more we have to be more involved in our care. Who gives care and also our own care. We gotta know what what should I be doing? What's wrong with me? Why why is this going on? You don't have to be a doctor. You can just be paying attention and 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 knowing a little bit of some medical care goes a long way. CPR, uh even getting learning how to stop the bleeding or how to 
how to tie a tourniquet. Those things go a long way. How to set a wound, how to set a fracture. Those go a long way, brothers and sisters. How to put out a fire, a simple fire. I'm not saying if the building's on fire, how you going to put it out. But how to just put out a garbage can fire without hurting yourself or getting making it worse. How to put out right. a stove fire. A lot of people don't know how to put out a gas fire or 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 an oil fire. They don't know. So just knowing those things can go a long way and keeping you out of the emergency room and having to see professionals. Beautiful. Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Law. Stay with us, brother. Yes, Please stay with us. I believe we also have uh, our dear sister, Sister Shamira Boone, on the line who has a career in the emergency medical services uh, here in the southeastern region of Virginia. She's well-recognized in that area as well as the state of Virginia, as well as nationally. Um, Our dear sister just graduated from the Dr. Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute. She was the president of her class. And I wanted you to stay with us, uh, Brother Allah, because, you know, we spoke about what community risk reduction is. And it's a process to identify and prioritize local risk, followed by the integrated and strategic investment of resources, emergency response and prevention to reduce their occurrence and impact. So, Sister Shamira, if you're on the line, welcome to the weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. And, I mean, feel free to engage with us and our listening audience what they should consider in terms of uh, your vantage point and the emergency medical services. Are you on the line, ma'am? Sister Shamira, are you with us? Well, we're having a little technical difficulty. If she comes on um, to our dear sister, Sister Yvette, who's engineering, and uh, we thank a lot for you, ma'am, and your family for uh, all that you do. Um, okay, she's not on yet. Thank you. No problem. Um, so let's 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 get back, brother. I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought she was on. I wanted to, you know, make this sort of like a panel discussion if she was on. And we want our listening audience to hear from other voices of others who have spent their career in uh, yes, these these services where we're talking and what we're talking. Um, so, so many levels to this thing. As, as the both of you said, I could speak on the basic uh, fire safety education and prevention. The, you know, the other thing is that it's one thing when you talk about emergency medical services, but when you talk about health care services, um, you may or may not know that uh, a recent occurrence was the fact that, I don't know if you heard, mainstream media is not going to pump it too tough, but Amazon is prepared to buy for $3.9 billion a health care chain. And so that causes a whole nother dynamic for those of us who, you know, may have certain insurances and where it says the tech giant's latest proposed acquisition in the healthcare industry 
gives Amazon too much power in the healthcare sector and raises a host of concerns around privacy and the future of Medicare, those who are critics of this particular, uh, I'm just going to use the word takeover, if it manifests. <laughs> right. Even, even uh, uh, the politician, uh, Congressman Bernie Sanders, after reading the New York Times article, the New York Times article said, as I mentioned earlier, Amazon said it had reached a $3.9 billion deal to acquire One Medical, a network of primary care clinics. The move is a big step in its plans to become a major player in healthcare. Now, Bernie Sanders, the congressman, says uh, uh, the function, he tweets, the function of a national, excuse me, a rational health care system is to provide quality care to all in a cost-effective way, not make billionaires like Jeff Bezos even richer. At a time of growing concentration of ownership, the Justice Department must deny Amazon's acquisition of Medical One. So that's just another aspect of, you know, our subject uh, today because it's different levels. The ones that have been spoken of by dear Brother Rudolph and Brother Allah, I just wanted to add that as well to the conversation. And when time and circumstance permits, we'll get into the fire service or fire safety side of the uh, of 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 the uh, today's program as well. So, brother Rudolph or brother Allah, anything you would like to uh, say relative to that or anything else uh, relative to today's subject? I'm gonna get out of your way. Thank you. You know, you know. Let, yes, let me sir. say this real quick. COVID nineteen, um, that pandemic from God. Um, exploited the not weakness, it blew the bottom out the system. Because, because when you think about at the healthcare system prior to COVID-19, think about how it was, what it was, what the norms were. Okay, now, right now, if you have a loved one that goes into the hospital, there's no guarantee that you can sit with your loved one, be in the room with them, sit with them in the emergency room now. A lot of hospitals will still use the, because of the COVID rules, you can't be in there with them. Mm-hmm. And that's strike number two, actually, not one. That's strike two. Um, strike number one is, the fact that you even had to go. So the fact that you even had to go to the emergency room for whatever you're going there for, the minute you walk into that waiting room, what are you walking into? Who's sitting in that waiting room? How long have they been sitting there? What's lingering around in the air there, hucking and spitting and sneezing and blowing and 
and and, and projecting and projectiling and, and, and all kind of stuff into the air that's just being circulated around there while you're waiting to get in to see someone for whatever you went there for. That's strike one. So, again, now strike two is your thing. You're triaged. Now they're going to bring you into the back, and now they're going to start dealing with you for whatever it is you said you came there for. One problem is because you went there for an emergency, your mind is already fixed in one state. So ability nor the luxury of, um, of a clear mind to be able to hear what the health care providers are saying to you nor to understand what they're saying to you because you're so fixated and focused on what you went there for. So they could be saying things to you that you're not even comprehending that's going over your head or that could be totally false. Then there's the other side to this that as patients, patients never tell the full truth to their health care provider and then get mad at the doctor when they make a diagnosis or give them a prescription for something and it doesn't turn out the way they want it to turn out. Well, remember, you lied first. You Mm. either lied by not telling everything that's going on with you, or you lied by holding back some pertinent information, or you lied by adding yeast to the situation. All the doctor does is take what you say and put it into his computer, and his computer, be it his physical computer or his mental computer, and because of his training in medical school, you start talking signs and symptoms, it starts spitting out the gamut of what it could be. Then he starts testing you to knock out what it's not. See, a lot of times when they're running those tests, so they come in, they do the chest x-ray, they do the, uh, the x-ray, they do the sonogram, they do the uh, MRI, they do the, the CAT, CAT scan. They draw those five to eight tubes of blood from you and send them to the lab and spin them so that they can get your full blood workup, your full chemistry to find out what's going on with your body, where you're high, where you're low, where you're um, below levels, where you're above the levels at. Um, Then they start um, knocking out what it's not, what it is. So they know if this is going on with you, that it's not this, 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 and this. Okay, now let's focus on what it could be. It could be any of these things here. So then they come back to you and they question you again. Now at this point you're so frustrated because you've been there four to six hours now already and still nothing, may still be in pain, Um and they're not going to give you anything right away if you go there in pain because they don't want to dull the pain. They want you the pain to be fresh so when they ask you about it, you can tell them. So you're frustrated because of that now. And then you're frustrated because you're listening to whoever is on your left side or your right side yelling, reeling in pain. Um, you're watching the, the movement 
of the healthcare workers that are in there, and you're frustrated with that. Some may be sitting behind the computer, looks like they're doing nothing. Some may be standing to get huddled together. They're talking, they're laughing, they're joking, and you feel they should be working on you. Or maybe you haven't seen anybody come by there in about two hours because there is nobody to come by there, but they do have somebody sitting there just watching to let them know in case somebody is getting worse off. Well, this is what you're coming into before you even get upstairs in your room in two or three days of laying in the emergency room or in the hallway. And it's not that there are no beds upstairs in the hospital. It's that there's no staff up there if you get up there in the bed. And the hospital has the right to refuse patients coming up on the floor, and they use what they call the – the uh, um, nurse-to-patient ratio, but the emergency room under the law cannot claim that same thing. So you patients can keep coming into the emergency room even if they are understaffed and the emergency room cannot turn them away. So there's a little inequity in that whole situation before it even begins. And then, of course, then the emergency room staff that's there, so you may have four nurses and four techs and maybe two doctors that have been, yeah, they've been on this shift for 12 hours, but how many 12-hour consecutive shifts have they already worked without a day off, having to give up their day off because of the demand? And so how mentally focused are they about your particular situation. This is just a brief picture, just a, a brief picture, Brother Yusuf and Brother Allah, of the health care system. Now even talking about the EMS system, just the health care system. So I just wanted to just throw that out there real quick, Allah. Now you give them the picture of the EMS system or the pre hospital system before they even get there. Brother Allah, well, before you do that before you do that, if you have a moment to just fall back, because we do have our dear sister, Sister Shamira Boone, in the studio with us. And as I had mentioned earlier, um, she's well-respected in the uh, 757 area code, southeastern Virginia, as well as the state of Virginia, and as well as uh, across the country, being a recent graduate of Dr. Carl Holmes. Executive Development Institute as the president of her class. Uh, Sister Shamira, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, be a listener, number one. And as was mentioned before, many of our listeners are subject matter experts in and of themselves. And, um, you know, today we're just talking about the healthcare system, the emergency management systems, uh, hospital systems, as it relates to the nursing shortage. And I don't know if you had a chance to hear the wonderful scenario. My co-host, our co-host, Brother Rudolph Muhammad, just uh, laid out for our listening audience. But from your vantage point, what's going on with you in this area? And thank you for taking time out. Peace and blessings to you, my dear sister. So I did not hear the um the synopsis of what you guys were speaking of prior to me calling in. Um, could you give me a quick 
um, overview, and then I'll give you input. Okay. Yeah, we just want you to maybe give a snapshot of uh, what our listening audience should know relative to your profession. Is there a shortage in this area in terms of EMS professionals, nurses? Uh, what What do you think our listening audience should know relative to what it is you're witnessing in your profession as we speak? Um, yes, there is quite a shortage within the EMS arena. Um, just a quick example, several of our uh, smaller entities around here, which hire maybe about 300 personnel, we're down 57 EMS and fire personnel. Uh, nursing system is so short. When it comes to um, our travel nurses, my sister works in a nursing field, and she was talking about the nursing company that she works with. They had... 17 nurses that she started out with, she's been there for about three weeks, and they're down to three. So there's a shortage um, like we have not had in the past three to five years, and it's only going to get worse because we're not hiring or replacing like we need to be. And then you have that huge mental health piece that's out there, which some departments are, you know, making leeway or fighting to get into that arena, but the shortage is astronomical right now. Wow. I'm going to fall back, and if Brother Rudolph or Brother Allah, who both have careers in the EMS, both in New York, in Atlanta, in Detroit. Brothers, you have any questions for Sister Shamira? Uh, sis, it's, it's a pleasure to hear your voice. Congratulations. It's a pleasure to, to have you on the show. I'm a, The brief picture that I painted for them, I'm going to give you the quick version. The patient comes in, they come into the emergency room, and, all right, so now they wait to get triaged. So they get triaged, and then they're sitting back down. Um, they're waiting, and then they get called into the back, and now they're sitting in the back, and they're waiting, and then, you know, the team comes over, does what they do. They order the test, they x-ray the CAT scan, the, they draw the blood, and they go away, and then they wait for those results to come back, but they're sitting there, they're waiting, they're listening to what's going on to their left or their right. They're watching the movement of maybe um, the healthcare team out there, or they're seeing nobody because they're just in an observation unit or a holding area where there's just somebody there just watching to make sure nobody codes. Um, you know, they can't get a bed to go upstairs, not that there's not a bed upstairs, but because there's no staff upstairs, so and because of the nurse-patient ratio on the floors, they can deny patients coming up because of the nurse-to-patient ratio, but the emergency room cannot do that. So they just keep piling in, piling in, piling in. Because of Impala, you can't refuse them um, unless they – or the necessary parts to actually close the emergency room or go on diversion, which administrators will not do that because that's a lot, that cuts the money coming into their facility. I was just painting that whole picture for the listeners. 
And that's absolutely correct because that's the picture that we're seeing. Um, just to give you even further details, you say that the nurses or the patients do not have a bed. My sister works in a step-down unit, and the ratio should be one patient to every two nurses. And right now it's one nurse to every five to six patients, which is horrendous mm -hmm. when it comes to patient care. And this is a step-down unit, so it's not like they just have one IV. They have an IV. They've had a blood clot. They're receiving heparin. They're receiving all these massive meds, and they don't get the correct care right they may have somebody intubated in their area I, I I understand I'm working in a facility now where I, I think easy it's one to eight one to nine mm. sometimes one to ten Wow yes sir and 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 to chime in on that brother Rudolph and sis that that does that's the acute areas and in the ER area. We're not even talking about nursing homes. We're not even talking about behavioral health facilities. We're not talking about mm -hmm. clinics. We're not. There's so many different aspects of the health the health field that RNs and nurses. And we're talking about RNs and nurses only. We didn't even talk about EMTs and other providers, but that are getting neglected because emergency rooms and hospitals need it. And the emergency rooms and the hospitals have the money to pay for nurses and, 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 and other staffing to come in and cover these. They, they're taking away from all the lower, the lower entities. Mm. Excuse me. Well, Mr. Shamira, um, you seem to be painting the same picture that Brother Rudolph and Brother Allah have painted. And um, there's so many levels to trying to offer assistance to both uh, the patients, if you will, as well as recruiting uh, those who look like us into that profession because, I mean, it's, it's taking care of you. It's taking care of Brother Rudolph and Brother Allah and your families. What would you suggest you share with our listening audience of how they can better prepare themselves either as a potential patient, as a family member who has a family member that's a patient, or if somebody, someone wants to qualify themselves in order to be a part of your profession? Um, I'll answer the the first part of the question first. For those of us who do have relatives that may find themselves in the hospital, my first piece of advice, nobody goes to the hospital alone. Um, while there used to be a time where the hospitals were advocates for you, you have to be your own advocate, and if you cannot, then you need to make sure you have a family member in the hospital that stays with you during that time so that they can be your patient advocate because whether we choose to believe it or not, the biases are there. They still believe, and not to be negative, but um, we are paying, We are seeking pain medications. Um, there's not enough studies on African Americans where they can honestly compare our sicknesses to the same sicknesses of our counterparts. Um, we suffer a lot differently, mm -hmm. and there hasn't been enough research to be able to find out how we suffer. You get a blood clot, and they will recommend to your counterpart that they get a hematologist and follow up on care. But as an African American, you're not recommended that care. It's get you in try to fix the clot and then get you out in 48 hours, whereas your counterparts don't receive that. So you've got to have an advocate that's in the system with you. Um, for those of us that are looking for 
relatives to join the system or to become a part of it, I would strongly suggest that you start educating them early. Um, patient care isn't what patient care used to be several years ago. It's get you in, get you out, and if you look like us, they don't really care. It doesn't matter to them. But if you don't, they care. They're going to do everything that they can, mainly because they know you're going to pay and they know as far as health insurance is concerned. So start early, start educating, and start pushing those medical classes. Start them in high school. Start introducing it to them in junior high school. Start those conversations at the table. And then start um, sending them to schools like trade schools, like a community college or something where they can get that training. And then once they're out of school, let them volunteer. Let them go to some type of a medical camp or a um, Boy Scout camp, things of that nature that gets them engrossed or, you know, learning about medicine and wanting to do that caring piece. Because i got to tell you, we've all heard it. It's the best-kept secret around, but it truly is on the nursing end of it and on the fire side of it. So I would just say start them as early as you can. Well, thank excellent. you, Sister Shamira, for calling in. Excellent. and You know, yeah, sharing that excellent uh, uh, advice to our listening audience. We pride ourselves in being solution-based here That's on Disaster right. Awareness for Community Preparedness. And we don't want to hold you up, in, you know, knowing that you have a busy schedule. However, you're more than welcome to stay with us. I believe Brother Rudolph has another guest that, that will come on and add on to the conversation. And Brother La, I don't know if you have time to stay with us, but uh, um, both of your inputs have been um, super valuable as far as I'm concerned, humbly. And I don't expect nothing less, but uh, I hope our listening audience appreciates it as much as I do. Brother Rudolph? Brother Allah, for those yes, people that are, in, that are in your area, uh, because, again, yes, we are solution-based. And what Sister said right now, is she hit the nail on the head, okay? Mm-hmm. It's about yeah. us getting into the system so us can take care of us because that's what it really boils down to. We need representatives, we need ambassadors, we need people that look like us, that think like us, that know the culture of us to treat us. And that's the bottom line. I'm not trying to be racist about anything. I'm being a realist about it because I'm in the system. I know what goes on because I sit there and I watch it, and sometimes I'm appalled at the decisions that are made, but because it's above my pay grade, there's really not much I can do about it other than be there, witness the atrocity, and where I can drop a jewel, drop a jewel. So what Sister said is a 1,000% right. Now, there are some high schools out here that are pushing these. um, um, Sister Engineer, we have someone on the line, um, 718. Eight seven seven. Well, last four zero two eight eight. Um, he should be in queue, holding on. Um, this individual here um, is trying to address the situation in the New York City area. Um, the shortage, trying to address the shortage. But uh, again, this is a political uh, quagmire that we're in. As Sis said, because of the socioeconomic piece and, uh, uh, and the diversity piece, 
it's a real big, um, it's, a re- it's like quicksand trying to navigate it. But the answer, the answer is definitely get them in early. Get them into the system early so that they can get into the system, learn the system, and grow, and then use their input to change the system because the system is definitely broken. And it needs to be fixed, but it has to be fixed from the inside, not the outside. So, Allah, tell you, those that are in, because you're doing something in your area, so tell them what you're doing in your area, and if they are in your area, how they can get in touch with you. So, in the Atlanta, Georgia region, um, we're opening a training academy called uh, the Georgia Independent Volunteer Emergency Medical Service. We'll be teaching low and no-cost trades in the fields of fire fire suppression, fire safety, emergency medical, emergency medical uh, EMT programs, EMR programs, and also some post-exams, which is uh, police officers' safety training for the state of Georgia. We'll be doing that in the uh, Vine City area. Um, our program is not open just yet. It's, go- it's in the final and stages. We're just going through some certifications and stuff like that. But we're, being, we're going online and we'll be doing training for people, anybody from 16 and up who is willing to volunteer and jump into our programming, we, we are offering training. And they will come out with national and state certifications. Um, also, there are other agencies in, in my region that are have programs called Earn While You Learn, where you can actually make money while you're getting your EMT program. They'll, they'll pay you to get your EMT uh, training, and at the end, you, you sign a contract where you work for them for X amount of years. But um, how, that's one of the ways that, that yes, we're working to deal with the shortages. Yeah, so how can they reach you, get in touch with you in your area? So my my uh, my website is still in the design, but uh, my phone number, our contact number is 718-812-5262. Say it again. That's our contact information. 718-812-5265. Say it one more time. That's my 718-812-5265. The Georgia Independent Volunteer Emergency Medical Service contact information. Um, We have another contact number, but I don't have it in front of me, but that is our, that is the main line right now. Okay. All right, good. Thank you. Hold, hold, hold on, Allah. Okay, um, I hear we have another caller on the line. Um, welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. To whom are we speaking to, and how may we be of assistance to you? Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? My name is Gregory York. Can you hear me well? Yes, sir. We hear you. This is good. Um, 
I just want to thank you um, for the program you've been doing for a few years now. It's great. I've been an avid listener um, on and off as my schedule allows. And um, um, I think this is, this is a beautiful thing. On this specific topic, um, I've been on it on and off for a few years. But just recently on this specific topic regards to the nursing shortage. Right. I just wrote a I just wrote a whole piece that I just submitted to the state of New York Department of Nursing Office of the Professionals. Actually, actually, department that does all the licensing for the medical professionals, doctors, nurse practitioners, nurses, LPNs, CNAs in the state of New York, and also all schools nursing programs in the state of New York. So, if you just go on what the state of New York understood and also the federal government, what they knew prior to 2003, uh, since 2010, they had already predicted and was preparing for a nursing shortage, a medical shortage. This was already being mentioned prior to, say, COVID. So they were aware. COVID came in, and I think like Brother Muhammad mentioned, and just blew the whole thing out of proportion. Like COVID, whatever they said the shortage was, and it's going to be worse by this year, COVID came and swiped it out. It's worse right now today in your face. What everyone was saying prior to this, I'm going to agree 1,000% on. Everything that was said is clear. So, so everyone should be aware. Everything Brother Muhammad said, Brother Allah spoke on, and the sister, this is a thousand percent pure, true. But like the brother, the host says on the phone, we're solution-based. So what's the solution? So my group, with um, Brother Muhammad, definitely is there in, in the midst of it, everywhere he can, put his hands and touching it. We got to get you a solution, if just a solution, to take care of our, our people. Like the sister mentioned, you know, there's definitely, you know, signs of, of, of racial discrimination. So what's the solution? And that's the solution. We need our own schools. We need our own hospitals. We need our own research. If there's not enough research on us so we can know what to do for us, then at this time, 2022 and so forth, then we have to be solution-based to get to there. Uh, right now, we just submitted to open um a nursing program here in New York City. It's, the process is going through so far. We got the application. They gave us steps to do, and we're going to follow through the steps. So I'm hoping very shortly we'll have an, an LPN program. My hope is once we have the LPN program, it would be almost impossible to deny the RN program. Now, once we have the RN program and it's successful, now we can branch off into nursing specialties, whether it be anesthesiology, ophthalmology, or ICU, whatever, you know, uh, obstetrics or pediatrics for kids, whatever the specific field a person wants to go into nursing to specialize. Now we can also, you know, become a junior college because now we have the LPN program. Now we have the RN program. Now so our people, our students, don't have to go to another place to get their associates or RN degree. Well, how could we form our own college, our own junior college, so right off the bat 
once you graduate the LPM program, how do we matriculate you to get your LPN associate's degree? Once we have the RN program, how do we now matriculate with the same school that we have and we're, we're creating to get your RN and get your bachelor's? Now, once we get to junior college and once we get to, to BN, now we're going to, you know, be pro, we're going to be, uh, how we say, proactive, and we're being proactive now. What do we got to do to start the nurse practitioner program? So these are the things we're actively doing right now. On the sidebar, and I'll, I'm going to introduce this to the audience, where we know there's issues, and there's definitely, like the sister said, or Brother Muhammad said earlier, the nurse, the, the whole patient care is not what it used to be. So how do we affect that? How do we be solution-based? One way I'm saying I'm going to try to be solution-based and what I'm offering be to be solution-based, whatever hospital that you live near, that you yourself may end up at for whatever reason, or a loved one may end up at for whatever reason, or you're at a, you're at a, a, a little league game and something happens and EMS has to come and they got to take them to the nearest hospital for whatever reason. I'm suggesting that individuals like myself, which I'm, I'm petitioning for, become members of the board of directors of whatever hospital is in your area. Because this is how we can begin to make effective change. Effective change is the board of directors. They listen to all the doctors and everything, the hospital and the clinics and how they're running. And some of the decisions are being made from the board of directors level down. The board of directors c controls the CEO of the hospital. As example, like the sister said earlier, the ratio should be like she said, one, two, one patient, one to two but it's actually one, person, one, one nurse to five. So my question would be as a board member of whatever hospital, is that because we're trying to make money and we're not hiring? Or can we still hire? And now that we are hiring, we have the staff, we can bring in more patients and make the quality of care better. I'm never gonna deny the lack of money for income for someone because that could be money for lack of for a family member or brother and sister in, in our culture. But to say we can't give care, quality care, for money, I would tend to disagree. So the only way I, to, I know to affect that type of change for a hospital or, or a major clinic, uh, my wife, she sits on the board of directors for a clinic in New York City, um, Joseph Adobo. I believe there's seven, eight, or nine different clinics in the five boroughs. And... You can, if you hear things and, and money and, and, and insurances and this and new equipment and this and that, you start to get the sense because now you're hearing things on a higher level that, wow, if they had this piece of equipment, they can do this, this and that, and they would need this, and now maybe someone's freeze up. And maybe we could get the piece of equipment by just saying, hey, let's try it out before we make a deal with the medical equipment organization that's trying to sell it. And you can do that maybe five or ten times so you have some type of equipment in your clinic, in your hospital, for, in a two-year basis because there's more than one medical instrument company that's trying to sell you their pieces of equipment that you can use throughout the day. These are decisions being made on the board of directors level. Like I said, I myself, I'm trying to get on a board of directors hospital right here in the community where I'm at, the community where I live, because maybe one day a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, the guy I say hello to in the park may end up at that hospital. 
how do I begin to make change? Brother Muhammad mentioned, I'm going to definitely reiterate it. You can't change it from the outside, yelling and screaming. We got to go into the inside of these organizations and change it. We got to open up our own schools and, and give care and change it. Now we're teaching these LPNs, we're teaching these nurses, we're teaching these RNs, we're teaching the nurse practitioners, and now they're going out. We're teaching them. They can go in. They can get hired. We can, there's hospitals that about to knuckle under because of financial reasons. There's a group I'm aware of, and I'm trying to, you know, reach out to this group just to show them how I'm interested. Why can't we as a group, we as a people, there is finances. There is so much we can do to say why we can't purchase a hospital. A failing hospital, there's enough money, there's enough black millionaires and black billionaires to say we can get the grants and get the finance and get the funds and a little bit of seed money and take over a failing hospital, and we can make it better. But That's once right. again, Hold the we have right to... There. Hold that right there, uh, uh, Brother York. Hold that point right there. Now, what he just said, now, again, we're a solution-based program here. So here we go, family. And, and, and again, the views expressed by Brother Rudolph Muhammad should not be attributed to Blog Talk Radio, Black Home Radio, Brother Yusuf, or Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. They are solely the views of Brother Rudolph E. Muhammad. Here we go. Okay. I'm tired of saying there's a racial problem and we're being discriminated on. I'm tired of saying that. I'm 59 years old. I've been saying it my entire life. I'm tired of it. We already know that that's the issue. But here's the other side to it. Okay, what are we going to do about it? And you can't tell me that there aren't enough black people, people of color, with money that can address this issue. Because if people of color didn't have money, everybody that comes to this country wouldn't be opening up a business in our community. How is it that we can keep everybody's business running in our communities, but we don't have any ourselves? That's just a lack of education on economics and finances. That's all that is. The money is there. We just are not educated on how to make it work for us. And then when we do attempt to do it, there's slick talk and slick terminology thrown in the game to try and make you feel like you're wrong for saying that you're trying to do this specifically for this group of people. Hell with that. Everybody is looking out for their own except this group of people. When does this group of people begin looking out for their own? So now, there's a a caller on the line right now. Um, She's been holding. I need to get her into this conversation. Um, Paula, uh, welcome to Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness. What do you have to say about this? Well, first and foremost, assalamu alaikum. Can you hear me, Brother Rudolph? Well, and Brother Gregory? Well, we hear you very well. Uh, we yes, hear sir, you and Brother Yusuf. Yes. <laughs> Before you start, let me just say this. This sister right here has first-hand knowledge of how effective a program for 
and I'm, I'm going to use this term, and I know we're going to get a lot of backlash, but I'm going to use the term, uh, a program for the underprivileged groups in the communities, how specific programs for them can generate on the back end a windfall because the people can go through that program. It changes their socioeconomic status in the community. It does it in their household first. Then it does it in their community. And then the dividends that are paid back to that community is that person gets a better job that they're able to do more with their children, with their families. They become a beacon to the people in their own family that are looking at them to see that if they did it, oh, it can be done. Maybe I need to get in there if the program still exists and do it as well. But this sister right here knows full well what it takes and what the outcome is when you invest in that particular part of the community that everybody else is looking or casting aside. Go ahead, sis. Well, first of all, Brother Rudolph, I think you just said everything, and I'm glad this is recorded because you literally just created the first commercial to support the re <laughs> the resurgence of the Nurse Career Lab program. <laughs> so that, because everything you said is, is right and exact. So, you know, again, thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, join this very important conversation. You know, 15 years ago um, I had the honor to – uh, as I, you know, as an employee of the New York City Health and Hospitals to start a program. You know, this was something that the, um, you know, we had the opportunity to do under the Bloomberg administration. This was when the Center for Economic Opportunity was initially established. Um, it was an anti-poverty program, to your point, uh, Brother Rudolph. You know, about 40 different city agencies were supported to create, you know, whatever, you know, industry they were in to create an anti-poverty program. And so what Health and Hospitals, to their credit, decided to do was expand on the program that already existed where they were providing scholarships and support for employees, whatever role they played, you know, if they were interested and qualified to get into nursing school to support them full-fledged um, to go into school and then become a nurse within the institution. And so when this opportunity um, became available, Health and Hospitals expanded the program to offer the same opportunity for community residents that were living at or below the poverty line, right? So, you know, however it happened, right, so, you know, they didn't use the term underprivileged. It was, you know, if you happen to live, it's, you know, be earning this amount of money, that's how it was, that's, that's how they categorized right. it, right? Right. So... And this was a citywide initiative. So, you know, thankfully I, you know, had been running the program for the staff and was, um, you know, given opportunity to expand and, and come into our communities to recruit, right? So this is citywide. We were responsible for recruiting residents for the 10-month LPN program and also residents to participate in a or to have the opportunity to get a four-year bachelor's degree in nursing, to Brother um, Gregory's point, I heard him, you know, sharing the differences and the type of degrees that's available. Um, 
bachelor's degree in nursing from Long Island University. And this was because the hospital partnered with academic institutions, right? And so at that time, and so at the time, I think if you were a single person, you couldn't earn more than like thirteen to $14,000, just to give you an example of what the ranges look like in a family of four couldn't earn more than like 26000 right? So we had many right. of our participants were receiving public assistance, some were in shelters. I mean, you know, they, they, you know, they were really in a certain economic condition but really wanted to um, take advantage of this opportunity and worked really hard um, to get it, right? What I want to mention, so in the, and the program, so in a nutshell, this was 15 years ago, right? The city invested over $10 million into this program to support community residents, and it was extremely successful. We had over, I think, 240 LPNs graduate. Over This was over a seven-year period, and I believe about 40 um, individuals graduated from the uh, bachelor's degree program. If I, you know, It's a little foggy. Yeah, I'm not yeah. looking at the data right now, but from what I can remember. What's really Beautiful. important to highlight is, and I believe, I can't remember which, I think it was you, Brother Rudolph, that said this, the investment in people. Investment right. in people mm-hmm. is so important. The return, it's like you almost can't even calculate the return on the investment right. because when everyone finished the program, they were able to start their nursing job between 40000 and 65000 depending on whether they were an LP and an RN, debt-free. They were, they right. were not in debt. They were able to start this new job without worrying about a, a, a school loan. That was tremendous. And so because of right. that, many of them, began, you know, became nurses, joined unions, who then further supported their advanced education. So many of them got right. mm-hmm. uh, master's degrees. A couple went on to get doctorate degrees, right? Some got married, had children, bought houses. It, it just literally changed their lives, you know. And so if that, so that's a very small sample if you think about, New York City overall, you know, we have 8 million people here, right, or something like that, you know, and if you look mm-hmm. at our neighborhood, um, you know, that would be a game changer for the communities that really suffer from, you know, um, low income or lower socioeconomic um, status. And so just to give an example, I love what you said, brother, about getting joining the, like how to get involved right now, joining the board, that's brilliant. And I absolutely think that makes so much sense. I think what um, hinders some of us from doing things like that is you think, well, I don't have the experience. I'm, you know, there's a fear factor, right? And I think organizations right. like, the, so I, right now I run a nonprofit, you know, also partnering with civic associations and nonprofit organizations that can help community residents become you know, get training, how to be a board member, what's the expectation of a board member. So they, they show up, you know, prepared and show up, you know, as, you know, feeling like they can have, they have something to contribute. So I think I'm going to also add that to what you suggested, that that's also something that, that we need to start making sure is happening, that people are being properly prepared and not just thrown into something um, with, so that they can contribute at the highest level. So I'll just, I'll just say that. The last thing I will say is um, regarding the uh, neighborhoods, right? If you look at, so for an example, I, I work. I was born and raised in Brownsville. I currently work in Brownsville. We have a hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Brownsville has the largest. Always shout out Brownsville. Never will. Never believe it. 
That's right. <laughs> Building houses, you know, and I, that you will always be my home. That's right. <laughs> and so, but one thing I thought was really interesting, so we have the largest concentration of public housing in the world, right? There's no other place with more of a concentration of public housing than in Brownsville. And you're talking about the projects, y'all. You're talking about they got more projects, blocks for blocks, than anywhere else in the world. Every block is a different project. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no, Look, and I said no. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you know he can't help himself. You know he can't help himself. (laughs) No, but I needed that. No, for real. You have to make it plain. So when I looked at the data, though, right, because one of the things that we're looking at is, you know, how to do, because this is across the industry, right, what are the largest employers in a neighborhood? The majority of those employees should live there, right? And so when I I asked for the data from the local hospitals, guess how many people who, so now you heard what I said about the project, right, how many, right, guess how many people who live in the projects work at the hospital. Now, there's 5,000 employees, almost 5,000 employees altogether, right? How many employees from the projects do you think work there? I would say less than 10%. Than 10%, so a little less than 400? Like, so 5,000 yeah. employees, are you saying a little, a little less what than 500? A, a little less than 500, I'm sorry, yes. What do you say, brother? I take that, that same that work number. I take right. that same number. Mm-hmm. So you are correct. There's like literally almost 10% of the people mm-hmm. who live in the community overall, not the project, within the mm-hmm. two zip codes, 11212 and 11233. You literally, that's exactly how many, right? Almost 10%, not quite, because I'm, I'm deducted the 40-something residents who happen to live there because they're just doing their residency, so they don't count. Um, right. Eight. It's eight. Eight people who live in uh, public housing work at the hospital. So out of that almost 500 people, eight of them live in public housing. So the majority, you know, there's a good number that live in the houses, so there's also homes in the area, but those are the nurses, right? right? So so again, back to the point of this show or this segment is, we need to increase and close the skills gap so more of our community residents can become the professionals that work in our hospitals and clinics. That is crucial. And what we found when we started the program, even even for our own employees, we started a uh, prep program and then the prep for prep because <laughs> you know, we, it was just such a great, do you remember that? It was such a great need. We, so we wanted, if you had a desire to become a nurse, we did everything in our power to help you get through the door. But you had to pass the test. You had to perform. And most of the people who were educated in these United States are terrible in math. That's what we found. So people who were from, you know, educated in the Caribbean, you know, under the British system, did very well in math. So it was easier for people to get in, you know, um, get into nursing school and just work on English as a second language. That that was easier to do than deal with someone who spoke the language but could not do the math. That was the re- mm-hmm. that's the main reason why many U.S., um, a, a good number of U- U.S. citizens who live in communities like Brownsville and others are not able to get into nursing school in the first place. So we, we put programs in place to address those issues, and they were successful. So that's the other part to this whole 
uh, puzzle that has to be in place. And, we've, and, and we know it works because we did it. And so I'm glad and congratulations on the opening of the nursing school or getting pre- prepared to open the nursing school. Um, we definitely need it and, and more. Um, and, you know, partnerships with uh, hospitals and, and organizations that we all, it's not just the people working together in the community, it's also the organizations and institutions that have to, you know, do a better job at working together and um, collaborating. So I look forward to this work, um, you know, even though I'm, I'm on the economic development side of it, but it's all relative. And so, yeah, I, I, I think this is it's, it's time. It's time to, you know, get this program and many more up and running and support it. All right, family, um, I, I, I'm sorry, um, but looking at my Gucci, it's about this time. Now, sis, I, I need you I need you to check your, your, your schedule, your calendar, and see if you can give me some time next Friday. We're going to continue this next Friday with the steps that need to be taken in order to get this done. We want to lay it out, the architecture, how to, but I need you. Uh, Mr. York, I need you to check, check your schedule. I need you back next week. And the two of you, I'm going to put you together right after this show, after we hang up. Uh, the two of you need to talk because y'all can work together on that other project. Uh, Brother Allah, I know I, I know you're available. If not, I'll reach out and touch you next Friday anyway, God willing, so I can get you back in. Uh, Brother yes, Yusuf, Brother Yusuf, let you uh, give the closing remarks and close us out because I'm seeing the time. But next week we're continuing this show. But the topic for next week is going to be, okay, how to empower the community to take care of the community. And how to is what we're doing, Brother Yusuf. Yes, sir, Brother Rudolph. Thank you so much, brother, for being our brother and being a wonderful co-host. Thanks to all who called in uh, today, our dear sister, Brother Gregory, Brother Allah, Sister Shamira. Sister Sajda, Sister Juba, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, it's time. It's time to make a change. We are the people who can do it. It's about investment, community investment, community involvement, community partnership for community risk reduction. And even with these few words shared by me and we, I guess it's still the way it used to be. The strength of a nation is its family, and real freedom is responsibility, the ability to respond legitimately by any means necessary. Thank you for listening to another weekly edition of Disaster Awareness for Community Preparedness, and we look forward to being with you and serving you next week, same time, same station. Shout out to Black Hole Radio. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Sister Yvette, and your family and your team for allowing us to serve the community. Have a wonderful week, family. Peace be unto you. Assalamu alaikum.